articles. Maybe it will. Um, shoot, I actually wrote out questions for you. That's how. Let's start with my guy Lamont Roach Jr. because I love Lamont Roach Jr. Um, talk about kind of that situation, the win this weekend, winning a world title. But I think I'm more curious from your standpoint. You helped groom his whole career. You guided his career. Talk me through that moment, getting there, and the preparation. Luke, it's it's this is what makes my job, and and through the years made it all worth it. I mean, there's there's a lots of ups and downs. It's a roller coaster ride as a matchmaker. You get the bad calls most of the time of oh, I'm not gonna make it. I missed my flight. I I got cut in sparring. Uh, uh, I'm sick. I didn't pass a medical. I'm overweight. I'm pulling out because my wife doesn't want me to fight tomorrow. You get all those, like a lot of bad, bad news, but all that gets erased. And personally for me, not just seeing a champion, a fighter become a world champion, but that combination of father and son, you know, finally accomplishing the dream because what the fans saw is Saturday night, a fighter get in the ring, step in the ring, win a world title. It happens all the time. What I saw is many years of struggle, of hard sweat, tears, blood, of ups and downs, and maybe questioning, is this what I do? Is this what I not do? Should I keep doing it? Am I pushing in too hard? That father-son relationship sometimes breaks because it's pushed too hard, because it's but to finally see, and I'm not saying in this particular case that's what it was. I'm just saying in general. But to see it all wrap up in that bow on that night when they say a new champion and see that father and son. The, if you look in the past and see all the time that father and son have won that world title, before they hug anybody, it's them. Because it's when that little boy was seven years old, and the father didn't know, you know, maybe too much in training and started working with his son because he's going to be a world champion one day. 20 plus years later, that dream comes true. It's 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 just amazing to sit back and watch and and to be a little part of it. We were at the press conference after the fight and Junior, you know, was asked a question and he said, no, you know, uh, Robert Diaz and my father have done a tremendous job guiding me. Look where I'm at today, and, and it's because of them. So to have a little piece of that and be a little part of it is is so fulfilling that that makes all the negative, all the bad stuff, all the uh, backstabbing and boxing all worth it. That's when you know you've crowned it. Well, to me, what makes the Lamont story is it's so interesting is like Bernard Roach, Boogaloo, the father tells the story in the 12th round, gets the knockdown. We can argue about it, but almost feels like the spirit of Boogaloo was there and told the referee count it out. And then you think about like just where boxing was at when he signed FS1 deal, Golden Boy. He's one of the most promising prospects. Then PBC emerges. Lamont Roach all of a sudden isn't getting the same exposure for whatever reason because we always jump to what's new. And now you talk about 20 years later, but even like 13 years later, 11 years later, He's a world champion and he's been through pretty much every position in the sport. Promising prospect, forgotten about, labeled a journeyman prematurely by stupid people. It's kind of an interesting career arc because he's embodied so many different positions in the sport. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the issue with our sport right now. Look, people write you off one loss, one defeat. It's a learning process. And and I remember seeing Lamont and that's when I knew, I mean, I, I've had him from pro debut. I've seen him grow uh, outside the ring. Tremendous young man, family man. But when I saw him get a draw and it was not a good decision in Puerto Rico, he had a knockdown and the ref didn't call it a knockdown by mistake. But the fight that he clearly wins and it goes a draw. And I see him break down in that locker room uh, and get so emotional that I was like, this is a champion. He was hurt from a draw, not a loss, a draw. And that's what told me this kid's going to be a world champion. We went, we came up short against Jamel Herring. He had, he almost had it, but that's what I love about boxing is a defeat is not going to define a career. And this is proof of it. A defeat actually brought in more hunger that this time around he sealed the deal. Now, personally, I didn't think he needed the knockdown to win. It was a very close, uh, close rounds, tough rounds to score, but he was pushing forward all the time and Garcia was going back. So I thought going in, just obviously going into the 10th round, okay, obviously a knockout would be great. That way they can't take it. But I didn't think it was that close that he needed the knockdown to get a win. Um, after that 11th round, which was big, going into the 12th, wins the round. Without a knockdown, I think he wins a unanimous decision. But of course, with the knockdown, there was just that, you know, seal the deal. I was just very surprised that if he doesn't get a knockdown, it's a draw. And again, yes, you're right. The angel in the sky said, we need that knockdown. You're not going home without the belt. So it was uh, it was for Boogaloo. It was for his father. It was for him. It was for his son. And it was for his life now because things change. I'm excited to see the type of fighter he is after this fight because I know it's cliche to say fighters get better after they win a world title, but they do. But they they do. do. The confidence rises. And I think with him now, mentally, I everything had been done before. He had beaten the journeymen. He had beaten the contenders. He had beaten, but he hadn't beaten the world champion. And today he's beaten the world champion. He has the belt. He is a world champion. Mentally, he's going to walk a different way. And, 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 and he's a humble young man. So he's just going to bring that confidence. But I see somebody now becoming a role model for the, for the future fighters. Now let's talk about my guy, Pablo Cesar Cano. Me and him share a birthday, which uh, I'm, that's a fun trivia question that I think no one will ever ask. <laughs> um, Zachary Ochoa, you actually knew really well that when that pro box match was made, you would match both of these fighters, which I always feel like is an interesting sidebar because you know a lot about the fighters. Cano, to me, is a guy I always want to see a fight with him and Jose Ramirez. Stylistically, that just felt like that was such a good matchup. There's so many good fights to make with him, given that he he's always going to press the action. He's always a TV-friendly fighter. After this performance, what do you expect from him, and what are the like the angles um, in, a, in a really exciting division? Well, uh... There's been some opportunities. There's been some calls. There's We're working on something right now. Um, with Gano, I'm very close. It's a very similar relationship that I have with him like I do with Linares. I've known him since very early in their careers, since they were babies. Uh, I've told them it's, it's, we're around the corner from that being it. Uh, he trained really hard for this fight. 
we were preparing for whoever they put in front. And when Zachary Ochoa's name came up, I'm like, okay, you know what? That That's a good fight. I know Zachary, he's going to come game. To be honest, Luke, I was even totally blown and shocked at how game he came. You saw a more mature, a more determined Zach. I mean, he took some shots and come off and back. He actually stunned Cano. So I was a moment there that, whoa, you know, this might be it. But once again, Cano brought it out and, and just, you know, finished the job. And obviously my goal right now is to try to get him the biggest fight out there that pays him the most to secure uh, the biggest purse out there that I can get him that's there so that if it is the last fight, he has something to, you know, invest on and, and go do something for the rest of his life for him and his family. Yeah. I just, for me personally, that if there's ever like a Ramirez fight, I just feel like him and Ramirez are destined for a fight of the year because they have one gear, one speed, and it's a fantastic speed. It's no knock on both of them, but it just seems like you got, you put two macho guys in there. You're going to end up with a fight. That's exciting. Yeah, they both get hit. They both punch. They both come forward. They like to trade. I mean, that's that's uh, one of those fights that you're right. It's a can't miss. And uh, right now, obviously, I think Ramirez is that close to a world title fight right around the corner. So he's going to, you know, wait for that. Gano, with the win, gets into the rankings. Um, hopefully a champion says, look, this is a good name to have on my resume and gives him a shot. You know, maybe we need one or two more wins and uh, we're looking forward to to getting that right off the bat. Hopefully he's back in January, February. Perfect. Yeah, I feel like with a guy like Sabril Matisse in the division, there's always opportunities because I feel like nobody's really like raising their hand saying, I want to fight that guy. Not at all, especially even after, I mean, I had seen him, but what I saw Saturday night is no wonder him and William Cepeda are from the same camp. Props to, to Panda and, and Coach Duarte. These guys are just, they have three lungs. I mean, they just nonstop machines. That must be some crazy sparring to see, like those two spar each other. You know, I, I've been told that Matias uh, does not spar hard. Uh, my son actually was up there doing a uh, some filming for Cepeda's fight. And he said, no, nah, dad, you know, uh, Matias saying is I don't get paid for sparring, so I'm not going to go too hard. I'll just do enough, you know, and if they go, get too aggressive, then he'll settle them down. But he he just works more on defense and just enough, but saves it for the fight, which, hey, if that's how the recipe, it's working very well. I'm kind of curious uh, if you have a Linares story and more so since Haney's fight week is coming up soon. Do you have a memory of that fight week? Because I feel like you were a, a big part of that fight week. Haney's team trash talking. I remember you saying they're just nervous and you're walking down a hall. I feel like you were, I don't want to say the voice of reason, but you were always kind of a reassuring voice of that fight week. Do you remember anything about Linares in that week, which I think is probably his last great moment that I remember in the ring? Correct. Um, yes. I mean, with Linares, it's always been, uh, like I said earlier, I'm very close to him. We were just in Liverpool for his final, his farewell against Jack Catterall. That particular fight, I was very confident. I was very confident he was going to beat Haney. He had prepared properly. He had good sparring. He had hurt a lot of his sparring partners, dropped them with the right hand. I really think, you know, uh, that affected him was 
I'm not taking anything away from Haney. We, we're seeing how good he is and how he's developing into one of the better young champions out there today. But I really think inactivity hurt Linares. He was coming off COVID. He was coming off many months. And, and I say that because it took him a lot of rounds. Even though he was in great shape, it took him a lot of rounds to get started. And once he got started, it was a little too late. But we saw like in the 10th or 11th round when he – I think it was the 10th when he – Nailed Haney and, and hurt him. I haven't seen Haney hurt like that uh, in his career thus far. So, you know, he still had it, but it just wasn't enough to put it together. And we saw that once again, trained very well for this Jack Catterall fight. Um, he was in tremendous shape mentally and physically. He was ready. But once in the ring, you can't cheat father time. And I could see the speed was there. The reflexes were still there, but he couldn't let his hands go with what Jorge had always done, four, five, six-punch combinations. It was one, one, two, one, one, two. And it was like, you know, and it it took several rounds. It, it wasn't until the later rounds, 10th, 11th, and 12th, where, okay, let's, I'm, I'm warmed up now. Let's go. But And it was too late by then. But uh, I'm proud of him. I'm happy for him. He went out. Uh, even though it was with a loss, he went out with his he head held high because he didn't lose to anybody. He lost to a kid that many saw beat Josh Taylor and should be undisputed champion. Um, and it was it was it was a fun fight. He enjoyed it. He enjoyed the crowd, the fans prior all all fight week. And and going back to your question with Haney, uh, you could see Haney's even though at this young stage in his career. A lot of experience from him and his team. And what I say, not just what he gets in the ring, but playing the mental games, trying to throw you off, trying to piss you off. He has somebody for everything. And Jorge won. He's very, his demeanor has always been real calm and relaxed. And my job is also, with any fighter, is try not to let it get to you. Because that's what, if, if it works, if they get to you, then it worked. So keep as calm as possible focus and yes yeah, sometimes it is nerves and i've seen it with fighters that young fighters that come up and fight fighters like alinares uh, in the sense of sejenko who was a world champion and fought Pauli malinaji they get into this wow i'm fighting this guy and and that's almost a sense of uh oh we got him where we want him because now they're in awe that they're fighting a legend in some way shape or form so you try to take that advantage of that it's like Tim Bradley once told me that he, when you stand across from fighting Manny Pacquiao, you're fighting Godzilla. Like you look at it and you're like, wait, that's Manny Pacquiao. But it's like an actual fight. He said there was like a round of, oh, this is really happening. Like you you do the buildup, but until you're in that moment, it's a little overwhelming. I think the closest I can relate is I talked to Mike Tyson once and it sounded like someone doing a Mike Tyson impersonation talking to me. But it was really Mike Tyson. It took me a second to realize, oh, I'm talking to wow childhood hero you know yeah. it, it was it was a i think that's the same thing what do you think is the underrated greatness of haney in your opinion that makes him is it the experience is it athleticism is there something that the average fight fan is missing yes there's a look i faced Devin and his team twice with jojo diaz and jorge linares and my first excuse with jorge was okay inactivity age but then i go in with jojo diaz who had been active who's younger and the same thing happens. And what's that? 
the output gets lowered. So Devin Haney has a way of controlling your your output, the opponent's output. He controls the distance well. Didn't control it so much with Loma because Loma has so much experience. But with the others, he controlled the output. He controlled the distance. He slowed the pace down of a fight. And when you can do that, you're in control. Eric Morales did that to the great Manny Pacquiao in the first fight. He controlled the pace. He controlled the distance, the times, the changes. That's why he was in control and was able to win the fight. And that's what Devin does very well. You might have broke the internet. You compared Devin Haney to Eric Morales. I think a lot of people <laughs> are gonna <laughs> I think a lot of people are gonna go, what what's going on? That's a great point you bring up. So you there's a part of you that thought you could beat Devin Haney because you Absolutely. brought two fighters to to come in. So you really hedged on this guy's very a very beatable champion. Up a hundred percent. It it wasn't until after the JoJo fight that I I I mean I've respected him. He's a good young talented fighter, but you can't fast forward experience. You have to gain it. You have to go through fire. You have to get dropped. You have to get hurt in order to survive that. Once you do, then you've gained that experience. And Devin hadn't fought anybody. Devin didn't have, didn't have the experience. And I thought, okay, Jorge is just going to be too experienced, too much finesse. Haney's fast. Jorge's faster. You know, I, I, I thought I had the edge there. Then comes Jojo. I put the excuse. Jorge had inactivity coming off COVID. Okay, he got him a little old. Jojo's going to be rough, rugged, and take him where he hasn't been. Same thing. He controlled that distance, controlled the space, controlled the tempo, the speed. And I was like, wow, you know what? After the fight, I remember going up to Devin and Bill and saying, congrats, man. Not only uh, is that two, and it won't be three. I'll make sure. But uh, big fan. Big fan. Yeah, he's it's... It's cool to see some of these modern fighters like Haney, Shakur, all these guys going after legacy. It's something I feel like some of these fighters previously um, missed out on. And we as fans missed out on. I guess what, something everyone's going to want me to talk about is obviously leaving Golden Boy Promotions. I think of you with Golden Boy Promotions, but now you're in a new chapter in your life. How difficult was that? And were, are there still some lingering like watching fighters that you help manage their careers and you go, ah, man, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have done that. Is it is it kind of hard to separate yourself from that company still? Or have you just, the minute you left the door, it's a new chapter, you don't look back? No, there's, there's, there's I mean, amazing, great memories, a lot of love and respect. I mean, uh, I wouldn't be here where I am today if it wouldn't have been for without Marco Antonio Barrera, without Golden Boy. So there's a lot of love and respect uh, for what was done and how it was done during the time it was done. But like you said, look, every every movie, every book has a beginning and has an end. Um, my story ended at Golden Boy after 15 years. And it's time to now write a new book and a new chapter and a new story on Robert Diaz now. Not just the matchmaker for Golden Boy, but the Robert Diaz story. And I'm enjoying it. And there are always, always... Uh, watch over the some of these young fighters that I got close to, whether they're at Golden Boy, whether they're at PBC, whether, you know, some of those fighters, even while I was at Golden Boy and they were fighting on PBC, I'd turn on to watch. But I wasn't just watching a fight. I was watching them and I was supporting them. And I was always proud of them uh, because they came up through the years and progressing. So I'm 
you know, a lot of fans today are are fans of promoters. I'm fans of the fighter. I'm not a fan of a network. I'm not a fan of a promoter. I'm a fan of boxing and at the end of the day of that individual. But yeah, there's always going to be that sit back and say, ah, why that fight? Even before it's done, you know? And then after, based on the result, you're like, I would have, I wouldn't have, I could have, I shouldn't have, you know, but, but it's part of boxing. Uh, there, there could be, I, I see fans saying, well, those are good fights for the fans. They're tough fights. We have to remember one thing, Luke, at the end of the day, yes, as a matchmaker, as a promoter, uh, it's entertainment. You want to put on fights that the fans want to see, but let's not forget that it is a business. And in that business, you got to protect your business. So sometimes you roll the dice when it's time, but sometimes you protect the investment and protect that position where you're at in the at the moment. If you're number 10 and you get a chance to fight number one, you take it. But if you're number one, why are you going to fight number 20? You know, there's too much high risk, low reward type. So you have to weigh it out. Um, and at the end of the day, you do it sometimes. I, I, I had one comment from a fan saying, well, you're being hypocritical because didn't you do a fight between two undefeated fighters of your company? And I said, yeah, but they were both in the same company. They were both under the same umbrella. So whoever won was with the company. So the company, it's it's the business. You're still protecting the company's investment. So uh I don't like to be too critique, too much, you know, too critical because a matchmaker's position is always tough, and it's it's always easy to criticize Monday morning after the fact, right? But it's just uh, it it's tough sometimes when you see some of the decisions or some of the kids. And again, a loss is not the end of a career. That's what we're going to start seeing now. And I'm, and you brought up a great point how Shakur Stevenson, Devin Haney. I think we're seeing, I think there was the Mayweather effect. And now we're seeing the Canelo effect. The fighters that came up, young kids coming up after Mayweather, saw the zero, the money, the fame. So in order to be famous and make money, you have to have zero. So they try to emulate Mayweather, not taking risks, not taking the tough fights. We're directed to, hey, be safe, milk it. And, you know. Years later, nobody remembers you. Canelo, on the other hand, comes in and fights everybody. I don't think there's anybody in boxing today at his age that has had so many, uh, the resume that he has. And I think the younger generation now coming up under Canelo are seeing same thing, money, fame, but not the zero, a guy that fights everybody. So now you have Teofimo, now you have uh, Shakur, now you have Devin went twice to Australia. You know, we wouldn't have seen that five years ago, three years ago. I'm not going to go to his hometown. Oh, no, he has to come here. I'm the star. But these are kids now great, taking chances, Ryan fighting Tank, Tank fighting Ryan. I mean, you're seeing the risk. And I like it more. I think it's great for boxing that we see them fighting in their 20s and not like Terrence and Earl that fought in mid thirties, you know. At least they fought, yes, but mid thirties. That's Canelo's younger than both of them. 
Well, it hurts the sport, I think, because where's the trajectory for a Hall of Fame fighter go? It's like, okay, you had your defining moment. Now you're going to have two fights and bye, and we've created this attachment. Uh, I want to touch really briefly on Ryan because you kind of have a unique perspective. Refresh my memory if I'm wrong, but him and Duarte were both fighting on LA Fight Club fight cards as non-discreet fighters that nobody was really eyeballing. And then Ryan kind of started getting first round knockouts Social media is going. I remember he had a big win over Tyrone Lucky on the Chavez Jr. Uh, Canelo card where you did the translation for all the Mexican legends. I want to say the Thursday night. Um, I mean, I think it's just interesting to see how six years ago these guys were in the same spot and now they're in such different spots. I think Duarte has a chance because he's powerful, but I think this also kind of does feel like if Ryan is what we say he is, he should win this fight. But what's the evolution of those two fighters' career arcs to you as someone that was kind of building the roadmap as it came along? I'm excited about the fight, but it is almost uh, like seeing two of your kids fighting each other. You know, it's like, oh, who do I, who, who am I rooting for? Um, I'm very close to both, more so to Duarte because I haven't seen Ryan in a long time, but but I'm close to both. I, I, last time I saw Ryan, I obviously was at the Canelo Charlo fight. I signed both of them, but I signed them for, for so different reasons. One Ryan, I did see something special. Okay. I saw something, um, not just in what he was doing. He had like six or seven fights when Roger Ruiz brought him to me and where many people, would tell me, hey, I got the next Oscar, I got the next Chavez, I got the next Tyson. I see Ryan and I'm like, oh crap, this kid has a lot of similarities with Oscar De La Hoya. You know, the build, the speed, the look, this kid could be a star. And he was still young, a baby, but very fast. Obviously he had credentials from the amateurs. So fast forward, He's taking care of the job. He's growing. He didn't have the social media, of course, at the beginning. It started growing and growing and growing. And you could see him, uh, how the fans were starting to like, wow. I, I remember a card at Fantasy Springs full of young teenagers, all these young girls all over. And I'm like, wow, this is a, a young Oscar type effect. Duarte, on the other hand, comes to a uh, Belasco show on two or three days notice. And has to lose. Overall, he lost like 13 pounds in fight week. But just two days before, I think he had to lose like nine pounds. And all I can think of is pobre Werito, poor little blondie. You know, he he, he looks, he was so young. He, he, he had this little ripped body, but but he was, you know, hey, you're still a couple more pounds, son. You, you got to go lose it. And he was fighting a kid from the East Coast uh, that Kelly Pavlik's trainer had. Uh, Popo, Popo, Puerto Rican descent, and he was like three and zero, three knockouts, four round fight. Oscar might have been like two and zero, one draw, something like that. And I'm like, man, pobre Guerito, he's gonna get crushed. I had not seen this kid from the East Coast, but he came with a lot of, you know, a lot of hype because hey, this kid and and Pavlik's trainer had him and said, hey, this is one of the biggest punches I've had. So we were scouting that kid. Duarte is the opponent, comes in, makes weight, very polite. 
very polite, an uncharacteristic of a, a young kid. Very, oh, gracias, senor, muchas gracias. Hey, good luck, kid. You know what? You know, I hope you, in my mind, I hope you last a couple rounds. And he's like, muchas gracias. So he goes in, wins the crowd over. The whole arena is like Velasco, the theater. Bueno, bueno, blondie, blondie, blondie. So I'm like, wow, he's, he's, you know, and he wins the fight. So when he steps out of the ring, I said, who do I need to talk to? I'm not signing you. I don't want to sign you because you won. I want to sign you because you showed so much character taking a fight against a 3-0, and three knockouts, coming to the U.S. for the first time, having to cut so much weight, taking it on short notice, and then going in there and just brawling. You have character. I want to sign you. Who do I need to talk to? He goes, me. I don't have management. I don't have nobody else. It's just me. And we signed, and uh, look, he's at the biggest fight that he can get, even bigger than a title fight, because this has the making of an idol. If the if Duarte can produce and fight and win, he goes back to Mexico as a hero. They're they're waiting to have that next guy in Mexico. Duarte has the personality, the look, the charm. He can punch. He just needs that win, that significant win. And you're right. Based on styles, based on paper, based on logic, which we know in boxing, there's no such thing. But based on everything, Ryan is height, reach, speed, uh, explosive power. But one thing Duarte has is he has a chin. People uh, I've read, well, he's a lightweight. Ryan's bringing him up. He's the biggest lightweight there is out there. So I think that extra pounds is actually going to, Duarte's body is actually going to be like, thank you. He's a puncher. As much as they go up in weight, won't lose the punch. Maybe he'll even gain more punch. I really think it, it, it was a fight that Ryan could have gone a different route coming off the loss to Tank. Uh, Ryan took a big risk. And, and it's a fight that I tell the fans, don't write it off. You're either going to see that Ryan's for real, or you're going to see that you have a, a, a new hero in Mexico. I like that one. I got one last one because we're running out of time. What is the greatest? What if fight that you almost made that you thought could have been done, or maybe a couple like that were so close to being done. And that just never happened. One, one. Okay. One of the fights that I almost gave up on doing, and, and it doesn't necessarily what if, because this one got done, but it got done on the fourth or fifth attempt. By that time, I was like, you know what? It's not meant to be. Forget it. Don't don't even go there anymore. But I tried one more time, and that time it happened. And it was Jesus Soto Caras against uh, Yoshihiro Kamagai. And they actually went at it twice. So I was very proud of that one. But that one does not answer the question. That one did happen. But it took like four attempts. Um, that's a great question. I, I really, right off the top of my mind... Uh, you know, uh, you got me on that one, Luke. I, I'd have to give well, it a me, little bit more thought. Let me be the interviewer I am and okay. go, what made the Soto Karras fight so hard that it was four or five attempts to make that fight? Okay. Uh, the first time I made it, it was pretty much done. Both sides had agreed. And I get from my... Uh, my bosses up top, no, 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 cancel that fight. It's not going to get done. Let's do Soto Caras and Keith Thurman. 
try to call it off and then move into Soto Caras and Keith Thurman. Uh, second time around, I tried to do the fight again. I think it was pretty much done. And one of them got injured. And the third time, actually, one of them had a medical issue and it had to be postponed. So it was to the point where it's like, you know what? This fight's not meant to be. It's not going to happen. The last, I tried one more time. The last one I'll give you is the outcome you never saw happening. You made a fight. Maybe it's prospect. And then you, you, you're like, what the heck just happened? One of them, but it didn't it didn't end up bad uh, that I was like sat back and I'm like, oh, no, it's over. It was Deontay Wilder, Fantasy Springs against Harold Scaniers. Deontay, obviously a bronze medalist. Um, it was around his 10th or 11th pro fight, and he gets dropped bad, bad. And, you know, Scaniers was a journeyman, so I, I didn't expect it, and I'm like, Oh my God, it's over. The journey's over. It's, 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 you know, that's how far we got. Somehow he gets up, shaky legs, finishes the round, comes back, and a couple rounds later wins by knockout. At that point, I said, I'm going to try to keep him away from a puncher as much as I can. Obviously, to, if I can get him to the world title shot, at that point, he's going to have to fight whoever, but puncher or not puncher. And, and look, I was very proud because he got there 33 and 0, wins the world title and brings it back to America. Um, but that one that really, really, you got some good questions. I, I, I'd have to give it more thought so we could come back uh, on another day. Yeah, well, we're basically out of time. So when we when we do this again, because we'll have to do this again, because I love talking with you, uh, those you. will be Likewise. in the those will be in the vault. So maybe we'll come back to those, but I, I mean, maybe I'll do some research of old cards that you put together and I'll be like this. I didn't like, I think one for me that comes off the top of my mind was Saddam Ali losing to Anthony young. Like I just did not see Saddam Ali losing that fight. And then I was like, Oh my goodness. But every now and then those type of fights happen. That's a good one. That's a good one. And you just reminded Miguel Cotto. I love Miguel Cotto. We're very close. Uh, he had already announced this is my last shot, my last fight. I mean, I'm going to defend my title, Madison Square Garden, and ride off into the sunset. And he's fighting Saddam Ali. And my movie, my script, and props to Saddam, congratulations, but my movie was you defend your title, you win, and you ride off into the sunset. And Saddam, you're going to lose to Miguel Cotto, but there's no shame. Miguel Cotto's a legend. However, the script, like I said, logic means nothing in boxing because the script wasn't written that way. In the second round, Miguel tears his bicep and Saddam controls the fight. Miguel's fighting with one hand and wins the world title. I remember being in the locker room, obviously congratulated, happy for Saddam. He had beaten a legend like Miguel Cotto, but it wasn't supposed to end that way for Miguel. I mean, his last fight to come out, you know, as such a legend – and I remember being in the dressing room and saying, I'm sorry. And he said, sorry, sorry for what? You know, Miguel is just uh, an amazing person. A lot of people don't know him, think he's very serious. He is. But once you get to know him, he's just an amazing, amazing man. Well, right on. Well, that well, that's a great way to conclude this interview. And I appreciate you taking time. Have a safe travel. I wish you the best. And it's fun watching you on TV now in the corner. I like seeing you in the corner representing a fighter as opposed to being a very corporate. You know, I like seeing you freed up. You don't always have to wear the suit. I like that. 
Thank you so much, Luke. And happy holidays. And I hope to speak to you soon. Take care, pal. Okay, right on.